0: things come to a head with a firefight in a whiteout. Today I'm talking about the sixth episode of Fargo Burden's Ass. This is Scott's self indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends, and welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and we're continuing our coverage with Fargo by moving into the sixth and arguably the most action-packed episode of this particular season, Buridan's Ass. So, um, a lot going on in this episode, so without any further ado, let's get started. For most of this season, our characters have been running circles around one another. Lester has been trying to avoid the police, while Molly has been trying to question him. Wrench and Numbers have been looking for the man who killed Sam Hest, but only got a name in the last episode. And Gus Grimley has been trying to figure out Lorne, how to handle Lorne Malvo, while Malvo himself has been trying to push his latest mark, Stavros, over the edge. All of these disparate wants and conflicts come crashing into each other in a whiteout snowstorm in Duluth. The episode opens with the Fargo Syndicate having d- dinner with their boss, Moses Tripoli. When Tripoli asks about the status of Sam Hess's murder, he states matter-of-factly that he wants the responsible party's head in a bag. Back in Duluth, a sleepy John Chumph is woken up from Malvo from the pantry and asked to call Stavros using a voice modulator, another fucking wolf speech. Don is notably cagey and has his suspicions confirmed when Malvo brains him with the blender. Molly is also on her way to Duluth to check in with Gus after Malvo's intimidating visit the night before and the two follow the car follow the car to Stavros's grocery store, Phoenix Farms. Stavros isn't there though, so she leaves her card and they depart. In Bemidji, Lester's on the mend physically, but in a bad spot legally. He's being watched by the police and under suspicion of killing his wife, and his brother Chaz is inclined to agree. Lester then decides to switch places with his hospital roommate and make his escape. Meanwhile, Stavros is set to make the drop when he decides God has another plan besides this ransom and tells Wally to take Dimitri home, his son. We check back in with Lester, who is grabbing a series of items from his house, including a picture of his wife, some of her underwear, and the murder weapon, and delivers them at his brother's house in the gun safe. He also takes an unloaded weapon and puts it in his nephew's bag. He's spotted by said nephew on his way, But the young man doesn't say anything and poor don wakes up as we see malvo's plan he's duct taped don to a leg lift machine and strapped an empty shotgun in his hands malvo then opens fire on the nearby houses and cars to invoke a police response from an automatic from an automatic rifle and don is quickly beset by a swat team that kills him in a hail of bullets Malvo is on his way to get his money, when he's attacked on both sides by Numbers and Wrench. Using the snowstorm as cover, Malvo is able to get the drop on Numbers, find out who sent him, and kill him. Hearing the shootout, Gus and Molly give chase. Molly heads headfirst into the storm and firefight, and fires upon a suspect, and Gus fires at who he thinks is a suspect. Unfortunately, the person he shot was Molly. Stavros does what he thinks God wants, and puts the money beside the side of the road with a similar marker like the one he found. Unfortunately, Wally and Dimitri are both killed when a freak incident drops a whirlwind of fish on the car and causes an accident. Stavros finds them both dead on the way home. And finally, Lester heads back into the hospital undetected and gives a smug, satisfied grin before the episode ends, and whew, there's a lot going on there. So let's start with the Fargo stuff. At first glance, this may seem like the least Fargo episode of the show. Not only is this episode full of gunplay and violence, but also unspeakable levels of tragic irony. But if there is a connection to make, it's that no crime, even a seemingly perfect one, goes according to plan. The ransom plan in the film part falls apart at almost every turn, including the senseless murder of two nearby policemen during the abduction, the accidental death of the person they're holding for ransom, and a money exchange that ends in gunfire, notably at the top of the parking garage like Stavros is supposed to be at. The key element is the things we don't didn't think of or the humanity of the people involved always gets in the way. Lauren Malvo's plan is as close to perfect as you can picture. He's got Stavros on edge, he's distracted the local police, and he's taking out his co-conspirator. But he's so confident he forgot to keep looking over his shoulder and nearly got popped by wrench in numbers. And wouldn't have mattered because Stavros took the sign from God stuff to heart and left the drop-off. Which brings us to this episode's title. Today's title is Buridan's Ass, which is a logical paradox. They're back! In an imagined scenario, an ass is equally hungry and thirsty and equal distance between water and food. Unable to make a decision, the ass dies. The Paradox is a satire of Jean Buridan's Moral Determinism, which states that humans are compelled to choose the greater good, and cannot break the deadlock between two equally good choices. It's actually a joke, a false choice. If there isn't a more moral or right choice in the moment, how does anything get done? Sometimes free will in our humanity tips the scales, and indecision can be a killer. As, and as today's episode indicates, it may not matter. This episode is full of people who are stuck between awful options or are presented with a false choice, even if they don't know it yet. Gus on whether or not to shoot at someone in the snowstorm, Lester with how to handle the pending investigation with against him, molly on whether or not to run towards danger. Right or wrong seems to have nothing to do with it. The police on how to handle what appears to be a erratic shooter doesn't matter. It's all tragic, chaotic, and cruel. Stavros is the best example. He seems to have two choices. He can either pay the blackmail money or not. There may be risk to his son if he doesn't pay, but at least he's making a choice. Instead, Stavros, having been pushed too far by Malvo decides to do the only thing that will make God happy in his eyes, give the money back. That's the superior moral thing to do. Don't be selfish, tell your son to come home, and give the money back to God. But it doesn't work. And Stavros's son and arguably best friend are both killed in an act-of-God kind of accident. Would things be different as Stavros went through with the drop-off? Well, Malvo, ne- Malvo never showed up to that meeting. But Stavros couldn't know that would happen. So how can you say he made the wrong choice? You only know it's wrong because of what happened. These are all false choices because we have the benefit of dramatic irony and hindsight. So let's talk about this episode's structure. One of the reasons this episode is so effective, at least to me, is structure. Because from a structural standpoint, this episode has three major mysteries and five to ten mini mysteries throughout its runtime. We're talking stuff beyond the standard what's going to happen next. More often, we're asking, what are they up to? For our three leads, Malvo, Lester, and Stavros, they each make a decision early in the episode. But the audience has no idea what the decision is and how it will play out until the episode's over. It's not surprising that Malvo would double-cross the tan dummy Don and knock knock him unconscious after he stopped being useful. But predicting that he'd set up Don like he does is nigh impossible. Likewise, Lester leaving the hospital is in character. But setting up his brother to take the fall for his crime is something else entirely. And Stavros doing what God wants is equally impossible to predict. That whiteout perfectly matches how the audience feels watching this episode. What on earth is happening right now? And that's before we get to shootouts in the snow when we can't see who's who until the dust settles. And this is also the moment Lester fully descends. It's no accident that Lester completely lets go of his humanity in this episode. After seemingly purging himself of guilt, hence why the infectious shotgun pellet is gone, Lester is confronted with the reality he's been trying to outrun. Unless the police find another suspect, Lester is, in the, is the primary one in his wife's murder. And sadly, this version of Lester would make Lauren Malvo proud. His solution is designed to either harm or sully all of the family he has. He, most obviously, he's betraying his brother, who's quite flawed, but has attempted to provide support for him. That's awful. But he's also sullying the name of the woman he murdered by conjuring up an affair out of thin air and using heirlooms of their marriage as evidence. Which in turn harms his brother's wife and even targets Chaz's son, who is described as having some kind of socialization problems by planting an empty gun in his backpack. He even looks him dead in the face before scurrying out of the house. The old Lester may have been capable of this, but he would have been clumsier and racked with guilt. Not even close this time. As Lester realizes he made it back to his room undetected, a terrifying smile crawls over his face. We know that smile. We've seen it on Lord Malvo's face since episode one. And now, I wanna talk about how this episode looks. Up to this point, the visuals of Fargo are very cinematic, painterly, crisp, and plain. This isn't a criticism, this is a straightforward style, is what makes the background gags and grandiose opening score work so well. It's a cinematic look to what feels like a straightforward show about crime and people's reaction to it. And this episode introduces so many visual elements we have not seen until now. First and foremost, I wanted to highlight how the snow looks in this episode. I think it's pretty obvious that most of the snow in this episode is fake, especially in the whiteout sequences. But despite being a visual effect, I think it's absolutely perfect in this episode. makes every shot look like an impressionistic painting, even if it's a shootout. And I've never seen anyone use an effect like this before. I think more people really should. In addition, this look really sells the uncertainty and chaos of each shootout. You understand why Gus fired, especially after hearing gunfire and screaming halt, or why Wrench and Numbers couldn't get the drop on Malvo again. And then when it's revealed who Gus shot and the camera pans out, it looks Shakespearean. Hell even poor Dun Don gets a death that feels tragic and religious. The entire construction of the scene, including the sound and visuals, is so awful, and sadly as we know, exactly what Malvo wanted to happen. Malvo has seemingly accounted for everything to make sure the cops come in blind and kill Don. He even set up a booby trap so Don could be dead before they open the door. And the slow-motion reveal of Don in the Darkness being shown in smoke and light is shot like religious iconography. Don was a giant idiot, but he didn't deserve to be a martyr. If this was a movie, this would be the all-is-lost moment, where the bad guys are winning, the good guys are at their lowest, and at least one main character has died. But the visuals hammer these tragedies home. So hopefully, things can only go up from here. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time, everybody. Stay safe.